Hello, my name is Christopher Monroe, and welcome to the soundtrack to a life. And welcome back to the soundtrack to a life. I am Chris. I have always been and will always be. With me again is Cam. You remember him from our first episode two weeks ago. And we are here discussing Rise Against and their album Siren Song of the Counterculture, an album that I had never heard from a genre that I didn't really listen to while it was happening. So it was interesting. Uh, Cam, tell me about Rise Against. What made this the album that you needed somebody to hear? In a longer form explanation, I had grown up listening to a lot of 70s, 80s, 90s rock and metal. So Led Zeppelin, ACDC, Black Sabbath, a lot of heavier genres. And even growing up, there was a, I can't remember the show's name, but it was on YTV. It was their, their music program where they showcased mostly music videos, but also some of the artists like Aqua, the Backstreet Boys, so on and so forth. Was this Tarzan Dan? Oh, Maybe. I know, like, Sugar was one of the hosts, I, and okay. something like that, but... I, I think I saw the same show, but with an earlier host. Probably, yeah. The first host that I had seen was, I think his name was Enzo. But it was, yeah, it was, it was their music program. And all through that, it didn't feel like my music. I'd been searching, and, you know, the ACDC Black Sabbath, that was my dad's music. That was, I'd, I'd heard it, and I liked it, but it wasn't... It wasn't mine. You didn't have ownership. Yeah, I, 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 you know, it was, somebody else had shown me this. And I think the first thing that I had ever listened to that I, I thought was really cool, and, and it, because it's, they, were, they were newer at the time, was Linkin Park. But still wasn't mine. And then I had a friend introduce me. Uh, his older brother had been to a few Rise Against shows. And Siren Song of the Counterculture had just come out when he showed me it. And he, he I think the first track that he had shown me off of it was to them these streets belong and it was oh it, it, there, there was something in my mind just a huge endorphin release of oh i have found my music and i hadn't listened to anything that would be considered punk previous to them and they're not they're not like the stooges and the clash they're they're not minor threat kind of punk they're not the hardcore punk that a lot of people would be familiar with as punk. They were very much melodic hardcore or even delving into a more emo kind of uh, feel. Yeah, they're punk for people who haven't heard punk yet. There's always been, I think, a band like that working. And I think that there always will be. Because there will always be a generation of people growing up who don't feel like they have ownership over the music around them and need to be introduced to punk rock, having never heard it before. For me, it was probably Dead Milkman. Oh, yes! Right? I love Dead Milkman. How good are Dead Milkman? Methodist Coloring Book is an amazing <laughs> oh song. I crush punk rock girl at karaoke bars. Excellent. Uh, and then later on, Green Day, and then that one Offspring album, where if you were a white dude growing up in the suburbs... <laughs> And you hadn't bought it already, they would eventually just come to your house and give you a copy. <laughs> uh, everyone owned that record, and everyone loved it, because it really worked. 
it was it was punk, but it was mainstream sounding enough. And it, like, if you look at even one of their music videos, or if you look at all of their music videos, they're shot in the suburbs. Like, they know their audience. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. That's who punk rock is for. I think it was for disaffected lower class youth for like a hot minute. <laughs> Especially, you know, back in the days of uh, CG, CG, CBGBs, CBGB. Thank yeah. you. Yeah. Oh man. No, those bands were just weird. <laughs> those they were weird art school bands. Like yeah. I don't think any of them would qualify as punk today. Maybe the Ramones. Rancid. Rancid. Yeah. 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 Were they more SoCal? I they think were much California. more SoCal. Yeah. 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 Oh, yeah. But they they have a music video, Red Hot Moon, that shot in uh, NC. Wow, I can't CGBG. Uh, CBGB. CBGB. Wow. Country, uh, blues, grass, blues. And there's like five letters after that, but nobody ever calls it by that form. <laughs> <laughs> I know that because I watched a documentary about it the other day. One day. Yeah. <laughs> Fair. I just, just want to make sure nobody knows I'm actually trying to be a New York hipster of some kind. <laughs> I just watched a documentary on Netflix. <laughs> Well, even it had, it had shut down four or five years ago now, and uh, I felt sad for that. Never having visited it, never having listened to a lot of bands that had come out of, yeah. out of there, but it, it just seemed so so punk rock, you know, at, at that time. Yeah, it had its own uh, it had its own atmosphere. It was punk rock in the way that anything went. Yeah, especially around New York. Yeah, yeah. What what are you what are you guys doing? We are playing '60s girl group songs. With the distortion turned way up, and we have all the same haircut. Come in, Ramones. Yeah. <laughs> what? What about you? We are art school students, and our rhythm section is convinced that they are in a funk band. Come in, Talking Heads. <laughs> <laughs> and everything was presented as more or less equivalent. Social distortion also came out of there, if I remember correctly. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. But yeah, it was it was the first Siren Song of the Counterculture was the first album where you know i'd shown my like i i enjoyed sharing music that i had quote unquote discovered and you know my parents would be like oh yeah no i'd listen to that at this point or that point and then listen to a lot of the poppy kind of stuff it was oh i'd heard that on the radio you know because they would go back and forth and try and find music that they still liked yeah, yeah. Uh, like my dad was the one who introduced me to the offspring so he was still in his late 30s early 40s still discovering music which i know is not the norm like not a lot of people a lot of people will find their their genre their music and then just after a certain point i don't care it's not my music where you know that's a fact you get to a point where every band is influenced by something and if you already have the original thing the motivation goes down a little bit yeah absolutely where this was the first thing that i had shown them and not only had they not heard it they didn't like it. And, and there was something in me that went, I have to listen to it more. Obviously, being... That's 12, a powerful thing. Yeah, 12, 13, 14, around there, it was, oh, they don't like it. Now I definitely have to make this my thing. And it, it wasn't... Later now, I realized that it, I actually like it, and it formed a lot of my music taste. Yeah. But definitely there, it was... The friend who had shown me it, his brother was 16 or 17 at the time, and he was like skinhead not nazi skinhead but like very much like let's strap on some combat boots and go moshing yeah yeah and a lot of the stuff that he played it was like oh it sounds like a helicopter oh no that's the drums where this was oh there's actually some melody to it i like this yeah 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 this is the this is 
it feels like the radio version of punk rock for the people who want that. Yeah, and it, like coming from a lot more, I didn't listen to a lot of bands like albums. It was oh, here are the songs that became their hits. Like going back and listening to Led Zeppelin four, no song is like Stairway to Heaven on that album. No, that's absolutely right. right. So, uh, they went to a lot of weird corners. And I was impressed. Rise Against are kind of doing that here as well. Like, the mixes and the instrumentation are more varied than I thought that they would be going into it. Hmm. It, is, it is a fairly produced pop record. And a lot of the times when that happens, some of the weird corners are uh, rounded off. Yeah. And that wasn't the case here. Like, I was getting a different experience from each track from the beginning. Like, the, the, the first track on the album just explodes. Oh, it is. It is Immediately. <laughs> yeah. Uh, they do not have any interest in easing you into the piece of music <laughs> that they are presenting you with. You put it on. It's off and running. We will be rising uh, against effective immediately. <laughs> And if you can't catch up, that is not our problem. And I like that level of confidence a lot. <laughs> <laughs> well, and it was, they had actually had two records previous to this that were a lot less produced. And for them and their fans, it was very controversial going to not only this kind of sound, but they had actually gone from Fat Wreck Chords, which was uh, no effects. Oh, yeah. Um, Vanity label. Yeah, thank you. Into, uh, it was, initially it wasn't DreamWorks Studios, but they had uh, Geffen Studios. Oh, yeah. Yeah, they had eventually kind of amalgamated the two. And they had gone with their dream producer, and I don't remember his name off the top of my head, but uh, he had also produced Rage Against the Machine at one point, which you can kind of hear that production, like a, a similar production of a lot of layering within the album. Mm. Who, oh, who is it now? Produced Rage Against the Machine. Was it Butch Vig? No. Okay. Uh, I want to say Sean someone. Anyone listening to this is yelling at us right now. <laughs> Let's not look it up. Let's not look it up. <laughs> Listeners, uh, it, <laughs> you know the answer to this question, and we do not. So. Sheen something? I don't know. It's But had produced a lot of very Rage Against the Machine style bands of we're angry about something because of X, and it's probably political. Yeah. Which Rise Against had not had so much of that in, in their previous, <clears throat> but in going into this, they wanted to change up their sound. And a lot of people got angry at them because it's, well, no, like... That's not punk rock. But they just they went ahead with it anyway. Yeah. Um, turns, so. turns out doing what you want, whether people want you to do that thing or not, is punk rock. <laughs> <laughs> and it, it, it turned out to be probably my favorite album, either this one or Suffer in the Witness, which is their, their album after this one. Mm, okay. Um, because it, it maintains <clears throat> a lot of that melodic style while still holding, that, that, holding on to that punk edge. Like It's, it's not punk. But you can hear the influences. Yeah. A lot of their influences were a lot of straight-edge bands, especially Minor Threat, which is where they came from. But they slowed it down a bit, not by much, but they, they slowed it down, smoothed it out, and went more for uh, a message with what they're, they're trying to say with their music, not necessarily their lyrics. Good, because I could not make out many of the lyrics. <laughs> I have written down among my notes, oh my god, this guy's poor voice. <laughs> like, 
just having sung for a living five or six days a week for 10 years. His voice must be shredded by the end of a tour. I can only imagine. Well, and even doing it properly will still do that. Yeah, it still puts strain. Yeah. But when you're just straight up growling every every other word, which I did still enjoy, especially for a genre that is one of the few genres that feature both guitars and autotune as options that you can take. That they kept it to human voice presented as is. Which I, yeah, especially looking like, I initially didn't consider them part of, like, the the people who came up in emo. And then looking back, it's like, oh, they totally are. Like, they weren't very much like the Death Cat for Cutie style of, yeah. of emo, where it was very slow. It was very, let's, you know, let's let's explore those 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 angsty kind of feelings and I, i'm not to make anybody angry they, they just weren't my music at the time they're still really not my music and yeah. i know that's that's not what they're all about but even the the similar bands that came up afi and uh, green day and like even the offspring they just they didn't have that edge to them and again not to offend anyone i've listened to all of afi's albums they were definitely springing off of the misfits very much the horror punk that that they needed at the time but when they had slowed down and had kind of that that emo sound to them that's very much where i developed my music taste and especially listening to to some of the bands now i realize how how bad they could be and how they don't hold up (laughs) i think that's true of something like 70 percent of all music i have a pet theory that when you are 17 years old, half of what you like is the best art that has ever been made and will be for the rest of your life. And the other half is just so embarrassing. <laughs> and you don't get to know which is which until like 10 or 15 years later. Oh, yeah. Like, I don't know how Taking Back Sunday is still making music. They had one song that was really good. And like, not to trash anybody's anybody's taste. Yeah. But... I don't know how in 2017 they're still doing emo and and still... I mean, good for them. Yeah, sure. They found a thing that they like. And they do it well <clears throat> yeah. if you like if you like that, that toned-down sound. Yeah. Right? But I uh, very much with Siren Song and Counterculture is what... Like, and I like a lot of hardcore punk. I had to go, I had to go back and, and listen to the Minor Threats and the Black Flag and, you know, a lot of bands that started the hardcore punk movement. Yeah. To really get where, where they were going. That's what bands like this, I think, that's where they have their greatest strength. You discover Green Day in high school, or in your case, Rise Against. And then two or three years later, you're looking into old Clash records and Pistols records and Jam records. You will never be there. But all those records still exist. And once you decide, oh yeah, no, I like punk rock, uh, you can start figuring out what has happened previously and what the history of it is. Oh, and I'll sing at the top of my lungs, should I stay or should I go? Yeah. Because even that, like, uh, it would be amazing to be at, like, at the time where you could discover that. Was that played on the radio? Uh, yes. Yeah? That one and Rock the Casbah were. Rock the Casbah was somebody else's song, though. It, was it? Yeah, it was, a, it was a cover. I don't know by who, but it was a cover. So I could see that maybe that's what kind of brought them up to the, the limelight. Possibly, but should I stay or should I go? I would, I would love to have been around the time when that yeah. came out. That that would have been an amazing song to hear, breathe, and sweat in a live performance. Yeah, and just the idea that that was radio music. Yeah. Oh yeah. Uh, like especially, 
I know that there's always the common theme of, well, ah, today's music sucks. It doesn't. It'll, like like you said, right now, we don't know what's going yeah. to be good. Once we know the 10, 10 to 15% of it that we're actually going to bother remembering. Yeah. Well, and, and like we had discussed in the previous episode, Lady Gaga, I'm not 100% sure, but I'm 90% sure 10 years from now, people will go, remember Lady Gaga, and it won't be a, ooh, it'll be a, oh, yeah. She was doing really interesting things about the nature of fame in the 21st century. Other than wearing And suits. also some music. Yeah. Like, <laughs> <laughs> her attire, like... Albeit, I'm I'm no expert on any sort of artistic expression by any means, but she did some weird things. You, you I liked see. the one where her gown was also a working helicopter. <laughs> did you see photos of that? It was yeah, it was, it was like a drone setup around her. Uh, yes, her entire yeah. I think it's great. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we don't have jetpacks yet, but. That's close. Yeah. I love it anytime an artist takes a big swing. If the swing winds up being a dress made of meat, I kind of like it more. I don't know what you're trying to do. <laughs> it's clearly not working. But the fact that you put yourself out there in that way is amazing to me. Oh, and I'll totally, uh, I'll 100% agree with that, yeah. Just doing something that somebody would find even a little bit odd. Not extremely odd. You know, everybody who was at that ceremony when she was receiving... I, I don't know what she was receiving at that point, but... Uh, I assume every award. Uh, probably. It was, it was 2010, 2011. Yeah, so, yeah, it was her imperial phase. Yeah. Everything she did was new, was worthy. The fact that everybody there was dressed in, you know, suit and tie and, and nice dresses. Yeah. And, and she came in a meat suit. Yeah, okay. Like, you do you. That is that is out there. Let's do something. <laughs> as far as, as out there goes, I would say especially now, Rise Against isn't out there. Like, everybody who's, I'm, I'm guessing, 30 or younger probably has a Rise Against song that they like, whether it's from their, their earlier catalogs of, uh, like, The Angel. Um, like like you had said, somewhere in a, one of the Tony Hawk games, you would recognize one of their songs. And I'm, yeah. I'm oh, pretty yeah. sure that's the one. It felt very licensed. Okay. Like, I don't know if this was actually the case, but it felt like songs from this record were everywhere in non-musical contexts. Oh, yeah. Well, like, especially Give It All. Like, yeah, yeah. That was the first hit off of this album, or the first single, sorry, off of this album. Okay. Very much because it was that disenfranchised feeling of they were taking the idea of, okay, you guys think we're going mainstream, but there are also people out there who aren't part of any sort of punk scene who, you know, just in the advent of iTunes, they can barely discover this music. Yeah. There are people out there who feel that, that kind of dissent and they don't know how to, to get it out, especially people who are perhaps more isolated or even um, suffering from depression. They don't know how to release that feeling so and and that song is especially about those kind of people yeah. who you know you, you have this feeling you might as well go out there and you know especially in a, in a concert or in a, in a in a scene give it your all it's structured very like a, a mainstream kind of hit it's verse chorus verse chorus breakdown verse but it, it has that inclusivity of you don't need to be born in the burbs and disenfranchised to feel that that punk we need to do something feeling yeah and it's almost like instead of they are trying to reach out to the mainstream they're inviting a mainstream audience to join them under the larger punk umbrella and they do it really well the choruses uh, on this album are really anthemic i want to skateboard or drive at 
very unsafe speeds <laughs> or stand in a crowd of one to two thousand other people screaming along as they play, which is what this style of music should be doing. I would imagine these people kill it at a festival. Oh, they're amazing. Well, I'm going to see them in a, a couple weeks here. Or, oh, nice. Where are they playing? Next Saturday. Funnily enough, I'll get to where they're playing soon, but the first time I saw them, they were in... Uh, it's it's on the Stampede grounds, but they were in just like a, a section C of a warehouse somewhere. Ah. Um, I think it, it was called the Corral at that time. It might still be called the Corral. I think it might be. But uh, they're actually playing for the second time in their career in the saddle dome. Oh, nice. Yeah. Good for them. Yeah. And like their music has just been with that mainstream sound enough and not, not necessarily that hardcore sound that it has been so relatable to so many people that they've, they've made it to the saddle dome and, and obviously there are bigger venues than the saddle dome, but not in this town, not in this town. No, <laughs> <laughs> but just even thinking that they are going to and have shared the same space as within the past week, Garth Brooks yeah. or Motley Crue oh, yeah. or you know, larger acts is, is kind of amazing because when I had gone to their first, the first concert that I had gone to was when they were promoting their uh, next album, The Sufferer and the Witness. Okay. Uh, and it was the first concert I had ever gone to and I, I didn't know what to expect. And the people that I went with were much more in tune with the scene than I was. And had sort of tricked me into going into the mosh pit. Okay. And the mosh pit is where I find myself at every show since. Uh, like, injuries I've sustained. I have kind of a minor scar on uh, one of my fingers just from <clears throat> falling down and, like, scraping a ring and bleeding mm. everywhere. And that wasn't that show. But it was it was, it was was amazing because I had, they were they were headlining. And it was it was their fourth album. Yeah. And they had just... It was, it was their album after they had achieved mainstream success, into which it was, okay, we can headline now, but we're not big enough for the, you know, for the, for the big concert venues. Yeah, yeah. So they had come out with the Riverboat Gamblers, which I don't know if they're still touring or not. They weren't, they had a very similar sound, very melodic punk. And Pennywise, which Pennywise was a, a big part of like the Chicago hardcore punk Oh scene. yeah, Pennywise are great. Uh, yeah, I think everybody within that genre knows Brohim. Yep. And maybe the story behind Brohim in that one of their bandmates had written a song for a bunch of his friends who had died from overdose. And then that same bandmate died from overdose. They changed the lyrics to include his name instead of the, the people that he was singing about. But I didn't know who Pennywise was. It was just, you know, whoa, whoa, you know, <laughs> and, and going along with everyone. And then I saw, walking onto the stage, their uh, Rise Against drummer, Brandon Barnes, and it was like, oh, these are the guys. Like, And they were doing their, their own... They were headlining a tour and doing their own setup. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which was amazing because very rarely will you see that now. Yeah. Yeah, no, they have so many technicians setting up so many different parts of the show. Even smaller bands now. Like, it's, it's weird to see when you go to a concert that has two or three artists that are performing, or two or three bands that are performing, excuse me, that the first band has their own technicians. Yeah. They're not setting up their own things. Like, that's, that's weird to see now. Do they? Some do, not huh. not everyone, obviously. But I guess uh, I always thought the opening act was borrowing technicians from the headliner. <laughs> I guess, maybe <laughs> I uh, maybe my my cheers for yeah sound guy. It might be the same sound guy, and he might think yeah yeah okay like I've heard you before. And I don't know. Sound guys work hard. Oh yeah, absolutely. I'm not discounting that. No, <laughs> I'm just saying you know. If like, you, I don't think whatever your job is, having somebody show up and straight up applaud you when you're halfway through doing it is nice. Oh yeah, it's absolutely. a nice feeling. Absolutely. 
But yeah, like there's even a, a video on YouTube that I'll, I'll go back and visit from that, that concert that somebody had taken with their crappy iPhone one, <laughs> um, where somebody, it was, it was in the middle of November and it was snowing pretty yeah. hard and somebody had thrown their jacket up on stage and Tim McIlrath, the lead singer and rhythm guitarist of Rise Against, picked it up because it was in between songs and he said, is this anybody's? And nobody, like everybody cheered, obviously. There's no direction. Yeah, nobody's on. helping you yeah. find the owner of this one jacket though, guys. Thank you for your enthusiasm. <laughs> and, and he had said, okay, well, you can come get it from me after the show. And I don't know the story behind that, but I assume being the very uh, warm person that he is, I've, I've met him a couple times at, at concerts, that it was... Here's your jacket. You probably need it. It's freaking cold outside. <laughs> Makes sense that it would. Uh, yeah, I was I was uh, surprised by how well I enjoyed listening to this, which I shouldn't be. Like this is <laughs> right up my alley. It's a good solid slice of very memorable, very propulsive neo punk. I was surprised by how well I liked it. I could not get into emo while it was actually happening. I was getting my guitar music from that whole post-Libertines, Franz Ferdinand, Kaiser Chiefs kind of British guitar music thing that was going on at about the same time. Okay, including maybe Foo Fighters? Uh, no. Not so much? No, I liked Foo Fighters. I just wouldn't consider them part of that scene. Oh, gotcha. Um, but the further that we get from emo as a movement in popular music, the more I grow to like it. Okay. I it... think I just needed for not every band to sound like this. Well, and then the bands that sound like this, I can go, oh yeah, this is good. Well, and to discover the ones that weren't known at the time, but still have a following now. The ones that are actually, you know, they had emerged during that, but weren't necessarily following the mainstream. Yeah. Uh, they, em they emerged in time for emo, had about two songs. Oh. That... And then packed their things. Uh, to... Whereas the ones that were actually any good are still going today. To show the era that I grew up in, I didn't personally listen to a lot of Fall Out Boy, but most of their songs I can sing at, at the top of my lungs. Same with Blink-182, like, yeah. especially before their their uh, their breakup in 2005, I think it was, after Anima of the State. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, um, I, I definitely get that now, and as I said on the previous episode, I, I don't listen to a lot of slowed down music. I like that very charged music. I listen to music when yeah. I, I want to get things done. I want to... Yeah, uh, and this does that. Oh, very like, much. <laughs> you get very little break once this album starts. You are going at 100 until it is done. I feel like I would walk out of a Rise Against show either ready to accomplish literally anything or just exhausted. But nothing in between those two things. It has been the latter for me every time, <laughs> and I bet this upcoming show is going to be very much the same. Every band member is vegan, and I have to plug that because I'm a filthy vegan, and everyone except for the drummer, I believe, is also straight edge. Nice. So they, from the night before, it's not that they've partied and they're hungover and like, oh, it's just Calgary, we can blow a show. You know, they're well-rested, they're ready to go. They've probably done jumping jacks 10 seconds before you saw them on stage. Like, every time. Tim McIlrath is almost 40, and he just bounds out in a way that, like, is the same from when I saw them 15 years ago. Yeah, that's what happens when you treat your body as though you still have a few years of mortgage payments before it is your own. <laughs> <laughs> you have to take care of it. You're not done with it yet. 
which I think a lot of us kind of feel that way after, a, especially a very heavy night out. It's very like, oh God, I don't want to go do things. And the, the whole next day is wasted. But when you're on tour, you either have to be extremely resilient from just partying every day, or you're just ready to go all the time. It's like those hour, hour and a half that you're on stage, that's what you're doing today. Yep. You're just food, sleep, water, performance. That's it. Yeah, and then your focus is on that the way that it needs to be. And I think that shows on this record a lot. They are not coming to play. Oh, I wanted to say, on an unrelated note, are you familiar with MC Lars? In passing, I recognize the name. Yeah, he's a, he's a nerdcore performer who I think is still going. I wouldn't swear to that. I think he is. But he did a song at about the period where this would have been relevant, Signing Emo, about the rise and very immediate fall of an emo band from the point of view of their record label A&R guy. Oh, yeah. And the verses are very funny. And the chorus is a surprisingly passable emo chorus that I enjoyed fairly well at the time and did not realize until last night while prepping for this, he's doing an impersonation of the dude from Rise Against. Really? Yeah. <laughs> Okay, now I have to listen to yeah, it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I'll play it to you when you're done. Like, this is... Really, I was impressed. Uh, it brought a lot of fun to it. <laughs> well, and, and even as you were saying, with this album, just out of the gate, it's like, let's, let's go for a sprint. Yeah, it and, is all attack all of the time. And they do have some songs where it starts off very slow, and then it just <laughs> jumps into it. Um, Dancing for Rain. <laughs> Is, is one of those. It starts off with this nice kind of acoustic, and you're kind of like, oh, they've hit their slow song on the album, which a lot of bands uh, yeah. during this... Here's had... a here's a breather song at about the two-thirds mark. Yeah, and Dancing for Rain, I think, is, is two songs before Swing Life Away, which is their actual, their slow acoustic, yeah. you know. It's, it's okay to be all right with minimum wage song. And Dancing for Rain is just, it starts very, very, very slowly, and then... Just kidding! Yeah, <laughs> in your face, like, let's... <laughs> Let's hit you with everything we've got. Which, yeah, it, it's... <laughs> I, I love this song because it, it does that, not a lot, but it's, it's you know, State of the Union, followed by, uh, not Swing Life Away, uh, sorry, not Life Less Frightening, but it, it, it very much does that, where it, it, it sets you up to go, oh, okay, we're, we're, we're slowing down now. No, just kidding. Yeah. It's ironic what their genre is called, because I really do feel that these guys are more about energy than emotions. Oh, absolutely. And they, they do have, and they do convey that less through their music and more through their lyrics. Uh, Blood to Bleed is a little bit of a, of a slower song, but it's that, that same feeling of you've given everything to this relationship that you can, and you're just not getting anything back. It's, it's, about, a, it's about kind of like that, that feeling of, there's no two ways here. Like, I'm giving all I can. I've got no more blood to bleed. Like, what am I doing here? Yeah. Yeah, and it really works. It's incredibly impactful. The one I find is probably the most impactful for most people is their, their breather song, Swing Life Away. In the chorus especially, it's, it's, it's okay to be okay with, with having a suburban life. You don't have to ironically within this album you don't have to give it all every single day you don't have to yeah. you know throw all that you are against the wall it's okay to to just be sometimes be comfortable in the life with which you're presented and that you have created yeah 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 exactly which is something that we can all be reminded of i think sometimes uh, especially since 
there are very few people who can go and just have that sense of go 24-7. Yeah. At a certain point, you have to take a second before your body starts breaking down, if nothing else. Yeah. <laughs> well, and even uh, within the recording of this album, they had gotten their dream producer, which I don't think either of us still have. We're still not looking at yeah. that. <laughs> uh, any idea. Yell at us on Facebook or Twitter. <laughs> we're not giving you information on this issue. <laughs> um, where they were in the middle of recording, and he was being very thorough, and there were just so many distractions to actually recording this. Uh, they're actually recording it. This album was mostly recorded in Vancouver. Oh, fun. Yeah, it was. it's so far. As far as I know, I don't know about their most recent Wait, one. are these guys Canadian? No, they're not. They're oh, from Chicago. Fair enough. Yeah, up until their most recent one, I don't know. But everything else had been recorded in Chicago. Yeah, I would think. But they were willing to travel all the way to the West Coast to record this. But in the middle of recording, Tim McElrath's wife was, I think, seven or eight months pregnant, if I remember the story correctly. And gave birth prematurely while they were recording. Like, he thought he had enough time to get into the studio, record it, and then, before they go on tour... Book it, book it home for the birth of his child. Yeah, so I think it was the first song, State of the Union, and the last song, uh, Rumors of My Demise, that were actually recorded in a completely different studio because he had, he had to go home. His first child was being born. Who yeah, went? you make the time. Yeah, exactly. And that they, they kept a lot of the, the same production between those two songs. They seem to be the most layered on the album. Yeah, they feel, they feel a little bit different from the rest of the album. They do bookend it quite well in that regard. Oh, and even Rumors of My Demise is, is still a song I, I have an idea kind of what it's about in that sow your field now and don't have so many bad habits that later it comes to get you. But it, it very much is, is different from the rest of the record in that I, even listening to it probably hundreds, if not like a thousand times by this point, that I still don't 100% know what it's about. Yeah, that does make sense. It just feels very different from the rest of the album. But in a way that really works. Like, it really leaves you on a positive note as you come out of it. So here's a weird question. Why did this and verb number style punk bands happen at the same time? I feel like they were doing the same job. Here is punk rock for people who are too young to know about what punk rock is yet to introduce you to that concept. And here is a different, unrelated genre of music doing the exact same thing. I feel like, and you're, you're talking about Rise Against, Green Day, AFI, everybody who had, who had kind of come. Yeah, Blink-182, Sum yeah. 41, Finger 11. Yeah, ooh, all, the, all the number bands. Um, <laughs> I feel like they came about because they didn't, they wanted to be punk, but they didn't want to be the punk that they had, they had heard growing up. While at the same time, they didn't want to be grunge. Because grunge was the thing that was going on when they were in their high school years. Yep, and it was pretty much dying. <laughs> by, by 1998, I grew up loving that style of music, but by 1998, the standard bearers were Creed and Nickelback. And if you look at it, it was the idea of there's nothing original anymore. You don't write your own songs. You know, it was early 2000s was what? Backstreet Boys, NSYNC. Oh, yeah. Um, Britney Spears. During that time. Christina Spears. Aguilera. Yeah. Mandy Moore, everyone who had a Disney show also got a record deal. Yeah, <laughs> and all of them were part of the Mickey Mouse Club at yeah. one point or another. Which, oh, yeah. yeah. But they didn't want to be that because they knew what selling out was. Yeah. And that, to them, was just starting out as a, as a sellout. Just right off the bat. And, you know, whether you like that, that style of music or not, 
as in the previous episode, that's what I grew up listening to. Yeah. And, and that was a, an introduction to music. And it's, it's still at parties. Aqua is my main go-to. It's something that everybody knows. Who hates Aqua? Everyone likes Aqua. Do you do hashtags? Hashtag a thing. Okay, hashtag I hate Aqua if you do, because you are, I've, I want to know who you are. How do you, yeah, <laughs> it feels like there's a piece of you missing. Although, if you don't, I want to make it very clear. Respect Aqua, I get it. And they're still touring in Europe. Are they? Like, not over here, because... No. Yeah. <laughs> the, the North America moves too fast for Aqua's style of what they were doing and are still doing. Yeah. But I would go to that. Yeah, I, oh, think, yeah. I think I would catch that show. Oh, like if Aqua, I... Toybox, whoever came by. Yeah. Oh, instantly. I, I got a place in my heart for that style of pop. Oh, absolutely. And it, it's a lot of production value, but it works. It works extremely well for them. Yeah. Like, whether you're man, woman, whatever, gay, straight, you yep. can sing along to Barbie Girl. You know all of the words to Barbie Girl. You could be the most manly man ever, and you will sing along to Barbie Girl. If not out loud, in your head. You will. But they came out not wanting to, to be that instant, like, okay, we're, we're selves. But what was the other option? Punk, as it was in the 70s and 80s, wouldn't sell. They wouldn't get their, their message out. Yeah. They would just be, you know, lost among the, the noise of, yeah, okay, we can play in our one city for 10 years and then maybe expand yeah. after that. An 80s-style punk band is a great hobby to have while in high school <laughs> well or even either now. your band has to change after that i think we've all had that band i played keyboards in mine an instrument on which i had had no training and no qualification <laughs> <laughs> that's probably the worst one i have no training on in hindsight i agree <laughs> anybody out there who is 15 or 16 go start a punk band maybe don't invite your parents to come see your punk band your punk band is probably not very good we had a uh, cover band very briefly in high school, and uh, I also agree with that. Your parents won't destroy your dreams, but they'll... They'll do their best <laughs> to not tell you. Because they know. Most bands won't make it because they don't have the drive and dedication. And if you really have that drive and dedication, you wouldn't let your parents or anyone really deter you from that. But yeah, they, they, they came out not wanting to sound like anyone, and then there was this, this emo thing that was, you know, it was, it was in the 90s, but not really on the radar. Like, it was, it was a very experimental genre at that time yeah. of, we're going to take all the things that we heard before and then, you know, maybe slow it down, maybe uh, become a little bit more artistically aware with, with the sound. And a lot of bands, a lot of punk bands that had played in the 90s and early 2000s had seen that, and it's like, oh, Maybe once this starts rising, oh yeah, no, this is the thing. We have to ride this wave in order to become either rock stars or at least get our message out there, which they very much were. They, they have that hardcore sound of State of the Union being one of them, where it's, it's a nonstop train of kicking ass. Yes, it's a Chicago hardcore filtered through Bush-era commercial radio. <laughs> and <laughs> for a fair few years, a lot of different artists had a lot of success with that. Oh, yeah. Um, and even State of the Union was indirectly addressing Bush's 2001 or 2002 State of the Union address in that, you know, we're going back into war. Uh, really? And within the lyrics, I, I especially, I definitely understand uh, not understanding the lyrics the first time through. A lot of people will say, oh, how can you listen to that man when they scream? It's like, well, you essentially the first time you ever listen to an album where the artist is partially or mostly screaming 
you're not going to get all the lyrics. No. See, that's my thing. I couldn't understand what he was saying half the time, but I was also kind of fine with that. Mm-hmm. Like, they were using his in- voice as an instrument, among other instruments. The bass was also not using English words that I understand <laughs> in any kind of context. Nobody's complaining about the bass. It sounded good, and it fit the music that they were making. Yeah, very much so. And <laughs> even the, the lyric from that, guilty is what our graves will read, no year, no family, take nothing, is directly speaking to, oh, we're going into the Middle East again? Do you understand where this ends up? Like, it's your political instrument. Why are you doing this? Yeah, which we needed at the time, and do again. I'm kind of wondering if, given what's going on in the world, punk is due for a comeback. Absolutely. I suspect that it is. I feel like radio pop is changing. We're going to find out what the next thing is. And if it were some angry people with guitars, that would shock me zero much. Well, with a uh, guitar, especially the keyboard, uh, to the same extent, it's such a polyphonic instrument that you can't retire it. With bass, I don't think we'll ever see a resurgence of bass-driven music like you had seen in the 20s, 30s, and 40s, where it was more of a centerpiece than the guitar. I don't think we'll ever see that, because um, it's... Well, may, I not never. I think you're discounting a lot of commercial R&B and hip-hop. Well, okay, and I, I mean uh, specifically not the bass sound, but the bass guitar. That makes sense. Where, because we have the means to produce it electronically um, instead of acoustically, of course, it, it's very much driven... I think I don't think you can go through a major city a single day without driving past someone where you can hear their bass over your music. Yeah. But yeah, but yeah, the actual instrument isn't as forefronted as it has been. Yeah. And who's the last drummer to explore that concept even further? Who's the last drummer that we really know for their drumming? For some Buddy Rich. Yeah. For some Travis Barker. Yeah. And Travis Barker is still relevant. But to a lesser extent than, say, Kanye West. That makes sense. For example. In spite of the fact that his main job is also assembling beats. Yes. Oh, absolutely. Though by different technology. But if you ever look at Travis Barker drumming, it's it's a thing to behold. For someone who had played drums very briefly in a band, it's how does he do the, the thing uh, <laughs> that he does? He... He has a, a, a natural... You can you can tell when somebody's doing something well when you can't even put words on. Oh, yeah. Like, with regard to what they're doing. How can he do the thing? <laughs> he, he... Well, that must be good drumming. <laughs> He's rendered his audience functionally illiterate. <laughs> he, he keeps a rhythm in such a way that when you, when you listen to it, and I've, I've done almost everything within a band, albeit very briefly, but I've had the experience of doing it, except for bass guitar. But even the way that he keeps rhythm, I don't know how he does it. He just, the rhythms that either he comes up with or the people that come up with him, it almost feels like whoever comes up with a rhythm for him, it's, I don't think he can do this. Let's see if he can. And then he pulls it off. Yeah, which is important for a band that is all about movement and propulsion and momentum. Yeah, oh yeah, and like you said, this this record is very much that. The The lyrics are meaningful to someone who had not found their way musically, like yeah. myself. But even going back and listening, there are a lot of relatable subjects, yeah. like such as Blood to Bleed, uh, Swing Life Away, even State of the Union now. Every time any sort of nation goes to war, it's, it's, it's why. Why are there not more 
diplomatic means. I understand that this is probably the band-aid solution that we're using right now, but there needs to be more of a surgery solution to yeah. extend the metaphor. Or a prevent things from going to hell in the first place solution. Oh, absolutely. So this has been, uh, this has been the soundtrack to a life. I have uh, listened to Rise Against for the first time in my life. I have enjoyed it a lot. Uh, I will definitely be going back to this album going forward when I'm in the mood for some punk rock. I have a lot of punk rock. This fits right in amongst it. Uh, if I were to check out a second Rise Against album, which one would you suggest? For your tastes or because it's my favorite? Uh, let's go with your favorite. We do both. Yeah, do both. Okay. Suffer and the Witness, mm -hmm. because it very much explores the topics of life. It was, Tim McIlrath is the primary songwriter for Rise Against. And it was after he had had his first child and was going on to his second, or at least attempting to, to become more of a, a family man. It was more ex exploring the post-parent side of life while still attempting to maintain that punk edge. I really liked it. For your tastes, I would highly recommend Appeal to Reason because it's when they had started to not be so angry about a thing. They didn't write an album to be angry about anything in particular. It was when they had actually started to explore more of the artistic side of music. And you can definitely see that within the album. They still explore a lot of political topics that are very relatable, but there are a few artistic songs within that that I think you would enjoy. Nice. And then playing us out for the day, Paper Wings by Rise Against. This has been the soundtrack to a life. Follow along with us on Facebook and Twitter at SoundtrackCast. Like us, review us on iTunes, or really anywhere you go. Subscribe. Uh, we will see you in two weeks for a new guest and a new pair of albums. I have been Chris. Have a great weekend.